Welcome back to the 573 Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ebers. And before we jump into today's episode, I just wanted to wish you guys a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year's. Um, I really appreciate the support that we've gotten with this podcast in the short amount of time that we've been doing it. And I just wanted to thank you guys and gals out there for listening. We've got a lot of exciting things to look forward to in 2021, not just with the podcast, but with different aspects of the 573. So um, with that being said, today's episode is with avid outdoorsman and conservationist Trevor Day. Today we're going to talk about how he took advantage of the secondary rut and was able to capitalize on a mature ancient triple main beam buck. So I hope you guys enjoy the podcast and once again, happy new years. See you in 2021. Oh, and one thing I will add is there was some technical difficulties with the phone service in this podcast, but the information is still out there, and I did a little bit of editing to try to make it less annoying because I know that technical difficulties can be annoying, but that's just part of the things that we're looking forward to in 2021, so... I hope that you guys can bear through some of the uh, technical difficulty and enjoy the podcast for what it is. Thanks. All right, we're rolling. Thanks again, Trevor, for jumping on. I know it's been a crazy week for you, but uh, the deer season you've had, I had to get you on and, and hear more about it. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk about it. It's a pretty, pretty neat story, so I'm happy to be here. Cool. Um, before we get into it though, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you do? Yeah, sure. So, uh, my name is Trevor Day. I grew up in, uh, rural Missouri, just outside of Columbia, uh, in a small town called Pilot Grove. Uh, I was always, my dad introduced me to hunting fishing when I was super young. Uh, and even the video aspect of it, there's, uh, videos from when he took me turkey hunting, uh, when I was six, shot my first bird. And I, I, I credit him with, uh, pretty much my passion for hunting as well as videography. And so, um, I went to uh, school to study fishers and wildlife and uh, wildlife biology, and I graduated from the zoo. And uh, since then, I uh, work with pheasants and quail forever. I'm the regional representative for um, the states of northern Missouri and eastern Kansas. Oh, that's pretty sweet, man. We'll have to have you come on again and talk maybe quail habitat and restoration and, and stuff like that because it seems like the quail numbers in Missouri have been lower each year it seems like i i'm not like super into it but um you don't see a lot of people quail hunting anymore yeah and something that um is really neat is the fact of uh, the association of quail habitat and turkey pole habitat and uh so you can direct you can see the direct correlation between good uh turkey pole habitat and quail populations and uh the populations for both of them and so it's uh it's pretty neat uh it's kind of a mutual a relationship there and so if you have good uh, brood habitat for your turkeys you're going to likely have good habitat uh, for your quail as well so it's pretty neat to uh, find the similarities there yeah sounds sounds pretty neat i've got a small 17 acre piece that i'm just trying to make a wildlife you know just an abundance of wildlife on this place as much as i can so i'll be interested to hear some of the some of the stuff that you have to say about all that but uh the reason I had you on today was for your uh, deer hunting. So, um, 
this season, did you have any bucks in mind? Like, you know, what what exactly – how did you approach the season this year? Yeah, so uh, last – I'm going to take it from the last year's shed season because um, I put a lot of time and energy in. I was kind of right around when COVID started, so I had quite a bit of downtime, and I like shed hunting anyway. And so I went shed hunting uh, really hard and heavy and uh, a couple particular properties – and um, I think what's neat about shed hunting for me is it, it's not just finding the antlers. You know, that's cool. That's a great prize at the end of it, too. But uh, I can learn a lot about a property in doing that. And so I kind of found a little bit of a, a sliver of the property that I wouldn't have normally focused my attention on. Um, but because of all the amount of sheds that I found in that area, I knew that's a core area. It's a late season area um, and where they focus a lot of their, uh, you know, their their time throughout the late season. And so um even, you know, because that was late season, they're still there, you know, maybe not as much early season because they're all on crops or on crop fields and food sources. But uh, I knew I needed to focus more energy there. And so, um, and ironically, uh, and I can talk about it a little bit more later, but I found both of the deer that I shot this year, I found both of his sides last year uh, about 800 yards apart on two separate trips out looking. And so uh, I would absolutely attribute that to, you know, killing this particular deer. Uh, but also learning a lot of the other deer as well. Now, do you think um, this is how, how long have you been hunting this spot? Um, I have been hunting it for probably two two years. Um, I've uh, I was out there once uh, three years ago, but I didn't end up hunting it that year. Um, and so it's, I've hunted it hard and heavy for about two years now. So it's still a very new property for me. I'm still learning the ins and outs of it, uh, which is probably one of the more fascinating things that intrigues me the most is uh, learning you know how deer move through an area. Uh, why they're there and when they're there, um, and then figuring out where I need to be to kill them uh, particular times of the year. I totally agree, man. That's one of my favorite things about deer hunting. Um, is this property fairly pressured, or you just have access on your own? How's it set up? Yeah, so there's there's actually quite a bit of pressure, um, which is especially all the way around. I mean, I don't know of any properties in Missouri, at least central Missouri, that I don't have, an, you know, at least a few people hunting it every year, at least at some point. And so I kind of like late season because of that, because, you know, rifle season's awesome. The camaraderie of being everybody out there, uh, the coin term, the orange army, uh, sometimes, you know, gets used, you know, in a negative fashion. But uh, at the same time, I really enjoy, you know, that, that many hunters going out, even if it is for just 10 days or uh, two weekends for some. I think that's really neat. And so in terms of the property, there is a lot of pressure. And most properties I do hunt uh, have a lot of pressure. And I do not get to hunt for, you know, for, you know, maybe I can rifle hunt it or maybe I can bow hunt it. Um, and I actually do not have permission on very many farms uh, at this point. And so it's, uh, I've, I've been hunting a lot of public land as well. And so it's a little bit more difficult there with public land because we're not in Missouri. We're not allowed to use uh, trail cameras. And that's a huge a huge part of how I, you know, go about uh, learning a property and learning deer and, and following specific deer. Yeah, that makes it tough. No doubt about that. So this property gets pressure. You said that this was an area you were finding these sheds that you didn't think to, like you just kind of overlooked maybe at first and you had found all these sheds. Why do you think it was an overlooked area? Well, for me, um, I try to, especially for rifle season, I try to see a lot um, just because you can, you know, you have that equalizer there with the rifle. You can shoot a little bit further than normal. Um, and so I try to avoid, you know, I, I take the public land mindset anywhere I go because of that pressure I mentioned. And so I try to get off the beaten path 
Um, and sometimes you got to look right under your nose. And so um, that's kind of the route that I went. This is I would not have expected uh, to be, you know, finding those sheds where I was. And so that's kind of uh, why I started to focus my effort on this little area. And I wouldn't say that the area is uh, holding, you know, a bunch of, you know, boot and crockett, whitetail or anything like that. It's just a highly traveled um route and i would say a lot of it is you know the, ge- the geography of that area and uh kind of where it lays and how it lays and so it also opened my eyes a little bit to you know everywhere i'm hunting you know maybe i don't need to be hunting um you know certain certain uh, terrain that i thought was good you know in the last few years of bow hunting you know i thought i could get there within 50 yards pretty easy just because of how the terrain lay um is maybe something that i need to look into a little deeper and so i think that was the coolest part of uh you know finding that little little spot very cool very cool so you find all these sheds uh what what's your next step after you have shed hunted and you've kind of got an idea okay these deer are here in the late season probably need to be back here in the late season um what did you do in preparation for or i don't want to jump over anything either so kind of you know what led next yeah so um i don't run cameras too much in the summer um, on any property that's not got a food source where I can easily access. Um, it's just I, as much as I want to be out there, I want to put cameras out in, you know, mid-June and have them out all summer. Uh, some properties just aren't able to do that. And so, um, except for maybe two properties that have an easy, you know, a good bean field that I can access and uh, get a camera in there and get them out, um, I don't really run cameras too much during the summer anymore. And, and that's something that I've learned, you know, for the last couple of years, I would, I would put all these cameras out all over the place. I'd be intruding on core areas and, um, you know, it's fun. It's great because, you know, I want to see all these deer, but um, at the same time, if you get their picture, it doesn't mean you're going to kill them, especially if you're putting pressure on that area throughout, you know, the large chunk of the time where they have very small home ranges. And so um, my next step there was just kind of chill out, go to the lake and uh, try not to think about deer too much other than, you know, making a game plan for once season rolls around and the conditions are a little bit more ideal and, and I do want to focus my, uh, my energy there. And so first time I stepped foot on it was rifle season. And so, um, the deer that I shot with my rifle was a deer that I knew as well. And I actually found one side, uh, of him, uh, last year during shed season. And I knew he was at least five or six. Uh, but what I did not know is when I looked at his jaw and I'm going to submit the teeth off for, uh, the cement manual I aging just to be, you know, sure and see what they come back as. But, I would say that deer is eight, maybe even 10 plus just by looking at his jaw. And so um, that was the first time, though, I had stepped foot in there. And so it took until I guess it would have been the Sunday, the second Sunday of season before I finally pulled the trigger on a deer. And so he was nothing special. He, uh, he didn't even score 125. Uh, he was just a standard eight point. And uh, one side was, you know, what would have been a 140 and the other side is what would have been a 120. And so had I found those shed antlers out of it, I would have considered it being two different deer. And so it just goes back to, you know, something I also find fascinating is the fact, you know, we try to age deer on the hoof and, you know, we try to follow these deer and we think we know everything, you know, about them by their body size or antlers or whatever. And that's just not the case. And I think that's the most intriguing part is just because it's just like every human, we have our own, you know, our personalities and what we do or our tendencies. And, uh, but every person is different in a lot of ways and it's the same for deer. And so, um, I didn't really put much pressure on it until rifle season, but then I was there pretty much every day at some point, uh, if not the whole day, I was there for, you know, a couple hours with the right wind or whatever. 
Um, and so that was kind of what led me into that spot. And I ended up ground hunting uh, from a, you know, just took my bipod out with my rifle and played the wind on these ditches because with the warm weather we had and the high wind, they just weren't really uh, doing their normal their normal rut activity. At least it didn't seem like because they weren't using the same funnels as, you know, people would hunt in years past. And they, it just was, the deer were just not visible um, at most of the spots where you would normally see deer if it was cold. And so I actually worked my way into this ditch and uh, kind of scraped, you know, a little spot to the dirt so I was quiet and made sure I had the right wind. And I never saw anything. I saw a lot of deer, but there was nothing ever, you know, sheer-wise. And so it was cool because it, it solidified my my thought and my theory that this was a, a good travel corridor. Um, I hadn't really seen any of the deer that I was hoping to see, um, but I knew that, you know, like we, we had discussed earlier, late season would be a good good opportunity to kind of move in there. That's a lot. Yeah, no, that's, that's all good stuff and, and great points. Um, I think, you know, you make it sound like you were just, you know, you were waiting on this opportunity, this time frame to get in there. Um, but I know that your season was a little bit different than like, okay, I just waited till gun season went in there and got it done after gun season. So kind of how did your season go you know what you know were you just after this specific deer or were you just after a mature deer did you have deer in mind that you were going to be targeting for the 2020 fall season yeah so um to be honest i didn't really have a specific deer i had some deer from last year uh, that i was really trying to focus my attention on but i never saw a single one of them at least that i would have recognized and so uh, my target deer was, you know, I, I had a couple uh, that I was hoping to see on hoof just to compare to trail cam history, um, but I really didn't have a specific deer in mind. Um, but what's funny about this whole story is I knew of the double main bean buck that I ended up shooting, um, and I would have never guessed him to be the deer that he was based off of my trail camera videos that I had of him because he was a straight eight last year with no flyer, no extra main bean, uh, just probably your, just your standard typical heavy mass straight eight 140 deer and so i had him on my cameras in early october and a couple times in november and he just didn't really get my attention he didn't grab my attention and i didn't really think too much of him that's a great deer you know i'd like to see him next year type thing um and then so you know coming down to it i finally got you know i don't want to go too far here because i don't want to talk about you know we're going to miss some stuff but i'll go ahead and get into that so um I sat, uh, what was it, two weeks ago, I guess. We, it was real warm, again, 65 degrees, and I knew I wanted to get a stand hung in this draw that I, that we talked about that I had been focusing my energy on. And so I went in there when it was hot in the middle of the day, hung the stand during lunch, and I left it. And again, I did not go in there uh, at all for probably, I guess it would have been two weeks. And so the first time that I hunted that stand uh, was the evening before I harvested the double main bean buck. And so... Um, another thing that I'd like to point out is I, I have never used cell cameras very much. I, they're kind of expensive. Uh, I, I don't know. I like to go out there and check them. I, it's just kind of a part of it that I, you know, just like to do, you know, go out and check cameras and you get your intel that way and you wait a couple weeks and, you know, when it gets towards the rut or whatever, you know, you need to check them more frequently, you do it. Uh, but I, I got a Tacticam, um, reveal and it's the cheapest cell camera I know of right now. Um, uh, very, very fond of it. it I, you know, I had to get my settings right so the pictures weren't blurry, um, but it is probably one of the most, um, for the for the money, it is probably one of the best cell cameras on the market right now. 
And so I had a Tacticam up uh, probably 800 yards from this draw we've been talking about. And I let it, I, I just had it out, you know, after I hung that stand the same day. And I just kind of played off of what I was getting sent to my phone. And so I guess it would have been last Friday uh, or two Fridays ago now, I started getting a whole bunch of uh, pictures. And so, again, they, were, they weren't daylighters. Uh, they weren't anything huge. There was just a lot of deer. And so one day I got 11 bucks came through, and I knew that they were nudging does and kind of running. And so I knew that, you know, there's, you know, we have every 10 days, you know, after the rut's over, you have that second rut that's, you know, 10 days later, that's some that didn't get bred or they just, you know, didn't miss and they're still sort of cycling over. And so sometimes it's also just fawns. And so when fawns meet a certain weight, they will come into estrus as well. And so I finally got a picture of a buck uh, with a doe and it was absolutely a fawn. And so this proceeded for about four days. And so I could not hunt those four days, even though the conditions were right. I had some work that I was doing, and I wasn't even in town a couple of the days, but my cell phone, my cell phone kept having pictures sent because of that Tacticam reveal. And so I was setting up a game plan at that point. I was waiting for a right wind, um, the conditions to be right. I was watching that, that pressure. And uh, so finally, last Monday, uh, I um, got the wind that I needed, and I went and I hunted that sand. And, and so I went in. Um, and I hadn't, I didn't see a whole lot except for a few does until probably an hour before dark. And I turned around and behind my tree, there were four bucks, uh, was a, was a fawn. And so they're all nudging her and kind of taking it around. And so I, uh, I got excited obviously. And, uh, so my, what I thought you know, I had in that area was a couple of fawns that had come in, um, to estrus and that was in fact the case. And so I had an opportunity to shoot probably any one of the four deer. Uh, they're all, you know, young deer, pretty good up and comers, but nothing, nothing that I wanted to shoot. And so, uh, I kind of watched them work off and, uh, that was kind of the excitement for the night until last light when I saw a nice buck, probably a shooter, but I couldn't quite tell, um, chasing the doe out into the, the field on top, basically. And so I knew that I needed to be back in there the following morning on, on uh, Tuesday morning because we had a perfect east wind. It was going to be probably 10 to 12. And so it wasn't variable at all. So my, my scent would have been going in the exact direction I needed to. And so uh, my game plan was the buck that I saw at last light would bring that doe uh, back into the ditch at daylight to get her, get him away from, get the doe away from bucks, the other ones in the area. And so I, I get up there in the morning. I'm sitting there and exactly as I was hoping. Um, daylight broke on the ridge top. I saw a silhouette of a nice buck um, chasing a doe. And so the doe runs right to the base of my stand. Uh, it worked out perfect. I grabbed my bow. The buck's running behind her. He stops at 30, and it's not the buck that I was after. Not a shooter, anyway. It's probably a big 30s, low 40s, 10-point. Uh, uh, probably needs another year. Uh, it may be 394, I don't know, but just not the quality of deer that I was looking to shoot. And so uh, he nudges the doe up the hill, and um, that was pretty much the extent of my hunt. Um, for probably another hour. And so I looked up on the ridge after probably an hour and uh, I saw a buck. I looked through my binos and I, I recognized him immediately as the double main bean buck that I had on camera back in October. And so at that time, I'd still not decided I was going to shoot this deer because I didn't think he was going to be as old as uh, he was. And so, or at least not the size and the quality of the deer that he was. And so I, I kind of suspected he would just 
you know, follow that doe's trail off the other side of the ridge, and I wouldn't even get a shot to make a decision. Um, but instead, he decided to cut directly to the base of my tree, um, and it was it was go time. It was, are you going to shoot him or not? And so, as he was coming down, I'm, I'm sitting there trying to make a split decision, and, and uh, he finally picked his head up and uh, was rubbing a tree, and I knew immediately at that point that this deer was a shooter, um, no doubt about it. And uh, so I grabbed my bow, and he... Uh, I was trying to figure out which gap I was going to do. He could not have made it any more perfect for me. And he, he stopped in the most clear path that I had, at perfectly even 30 yards. Um, and I grabbed my range finder to double check so I didn't sail one over him or under him or something silly at that point. And um, he quartered away broadside, ready to go back up the ridge. Uh, and I shot him at 30, and, and he went maybe 100 yards and crashed on the hill. That's That's wild, man. And what what day was that? Uh, that would have been last Tuesday, so December the fourteenth. Wow! And so you were still you were kind of getting a little bit of that secondary rut action, and you were kind of hunting uh, ridge tops, or how how were you set yeah. up? Yeah. So um, there was. It's basically um, I had a better hunt that the night before and that morning as far as rut activity than I did a lot of days in November. And um, I, I guess that would just be weather, and, you know, that it happened to have the, the, the doe in the area uh, where I was at the time. Uh, but I was actually between two ridge, ridge tops on, like, a little creek bed. And so uh, it was a great funnel for them, and it was between food and, and uh, bedding. And so it was kind of the perfect, the perfect pinch point to uh, try and get a deer, you know, moving through. Nice. Right on. So, uh You've got your buck tag filled. What what next? Well, for now, um, I am trying to decide if I'm going to skip Christmas and, or at least some of Christmas and make a trip back to Nebraska to try and fill my uh, my archery tag that I have out there. I've been out a couple times, and that's kind of where this whole story started. It was August 26th, I went to Nebraska for the first, first trip of the year to chase an antelope. Uh, I was out there for nine days. Just couldn't make it happen. They're, they're very smart creatures, even though they're very dumb at the same time. And, and they'll just stand out in the middle of an open field and look at any direction without making a move. And then they'll just start running in the opposite direction for no reason at all. And so I, uh, I felt like I hunted an entire season worth uh, before September was even over. And so uh, that was kind of, you know, the trials and tribulations of the season. You know, it was just a lot. And I'd always wanted to do it. I wanted to go out west and I wanted to put in the time on antelope field deer. And I did this year. Uh, I just never could make it. Uh, I just wasn't ever successful in, in harvesting an animal. I learned a lot about the properties, and I'll definitely be back in the future, um, potentially even this year yet, uh, like I mentioned. But uh, for now, I guess from Missouri, I, uh, I plan on, you know, I pulled my cameras down. Uh, so I, I pulled my stand down so there's no more, you know, I'm not going to be intrusive on that area anymore. I'm going to let them do their thing. Uh, and I'll be back for shed season. There you go. Do you have uh, a few bucks that, you feel like are still out there or on any of your other permission spots that have the potential to be a shooter next year or were a shooter this year, just never had the luck of having them in front of you? Yeah, I think I have a couple. Um, something that I you know, haven't mentioned here was back on November 11th, I had probably the best hunt, you know, the day, an entire day of hunting that I've had my entire life. Um, and that was a different property, but I feel like I saw every buck that there was on that farm, on that property, and they all came through except for, you know, the one that I called Hurley um, that ended up getting harvested on opening day by a neighbor. 
and uh, he was uh, he was an eight year old deer, went one fifty six, I believe. And so, uh, but that same day, I actually arrowed what would have been the biggest deer of my life at the time. Probably was something to do that I ended up shooting. Um, he, uh, I just uh, had some bad luck again, and so I had a he was facing the doe. I stopped him directly underneath my stand. Uh, probably less than 10 yards, easily less than 10 yards. I, I haven't shot at that angle very often. It's something that I'll definitely be practicing, you know, going forward into next season, next season, and, you know, future years, because at that angle, I should have aimed lower. And because I didn't, um, and I was using expandable broadhead, it hit a rib and deflected straight up instead of going down through the chest cavity. And so with that being said, my arrow was directly, you know, it's facing out of him on both sides, right below the back strap. Um, horizontally instead of just going straight through them and getting the vitals. So that deer lived, um, and I, it kind of soured what was, like I said, the best day I had ever had hunting. Uh, and it was November 11th, and it was just all hands on deck. Everything was going crazy. The woods were lighting up. And uh, so uh, that deer, uh, I have not got him on my camera yet again, but he is absolutely still alive unless somebody else shot him during rifle season. Uh, so that deer is still out there somewhere, and there's a lot of good deer I saw a lot of good deer this year, just not great deer. And so I uh, kind of, my standards for this year went up. I shot several in the 40s um, and some three-year-olds at that. I, I don't claim to be, you know, this mature buck killer. I have shot several with my bow, and it's just because of the amount of time that I put in on them. And I really have some, you know, when we talk about luck, I do have luck finding unique deer. Uh, I've just killed a deer that looks like an antelope. He, he just went straight up and uh, was basically a six-point. And at that point, we didn't have our full-point rule restriction in so i was finally able to shoot him after washington for four years and so uh there's a lot of deer out there um and for me I, i'm going for maturity I, I my goal for this year was to shoot 150 class, 150 inch class deer uh with my bow and so the deer that i shot the devil made me buck did exactly that so he he went 150 even um and so that was pretty cool accomplishment to have you know essentially reached that goal this year and uh, so going forward, I'm not going to say I won't shoot another deer. It's, you know, if he's got to be 150 or above, uh, I'm still going to focus on age uh, because if you if you shoot the oldest deer on your farm every year, you're always going to have great deer to look forward to going forward. And so that's kind of my my you know my game plan and kind of my strategy of any property that I hunt. I think that's a great point, and uh, I think it's becoming more popular to let those younger deer pass. And I hope that that trend continues. Um, just for conservation in general, but also, you know, me as a bow hunter, you know, I, I like to see bigger deer in the woods while I'm hunting. It's just how it is. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that you can manage a property and if you have, you know, you know, the larger scale, you know, several uh, farmers in the area or, or landowners in the area, if they're all on board with that same management practice, it's amazing what you can do um, as far as management goes. And, and you can, you know, continue to watch deer and past year and you know your neighbor's going to pass them through and then at some point uh you're going to get an opportunity or at least somebody's going to get an opportunity and and regardless it's worth it because of you know the just the ultimate goal of you know wanting to see large deer and, and big deer uh, on hoof every year and so that's i think that's i think you're right there it's really cool to see that and when it comes to fruition it's, it's really nice well another thing i think is important to address you know about the year you've had is that you know you went out west you know, you had, you had some struggles there, you know, you felt like maybe you'd spent the whole season and it hadn't even been in the end of the September yet, uh, maybe feeling a little burnt out and you go in November 11th, 
you have a great hunt, but you just don't seal the deal. You know, a lot of those things can really play havoc on a hunter's mindset. And I think it's important that you were out there continuing to grind and looking for that mature buck and continuing to chase that goal that you had at the beginning of the year. Yeah, absolutely. It's it exactly right. It is a grind. And everyone, you know, it's kind of a cliche at this point. Uh, but it's true. And so it's your mindset, you know, I, and I'm the, I'm the worst one. I was feeling so sorry for myself that day that I, you know, I hit that year. I finally made it happen. I got him where I needed him. And, this, and then, you know, just uh, bad luck again. Uh, at that point, yeah, I felt cursed. <laughs> but at the same time, like, you know, it's just a privilege to be able to go out and hunt uh, as often as I do and, and to, you know, be so passionate about that. And I think, I think at the end of the day, that's what we have to take into mind or take into uh, account and make sure that at the end of the day, we're doing it for the right reason, which is remembering why we're out there in the first place. And it's not always for the harvest. You know, it's way more than that. It's, it's following into your on trail cameras. It's finding their sheds. It's, you know, it's the camaraderie of just being outdoors uh, with friends and family. And I think that at the end of the day, if you focus on that, uh, every, you know, focus on that and have a positive, you know, outlook on everything, um, your seasons will always be a success regardless of what's at the end of the blood trail. Man, that's that's really great advice, and uh, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, we'll have to do this sometime in person so we're not having so many so many issues with this phone service. Um, do you have anything you wanted to add or anything before we close it out? I don't. I appreciate you having me on, and, uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, getting there in the future and uh, doing something again, so thank you. Cool, man. Good luck for the rest of the season. Hope you get it done out west. I appreciate it. Talk to you later. Later.